cash value life insurance is the payday lender of the middle class, Dave Ramsey. Welcome to Retirement Mentorship, your mentor to and through retirement. I'm your host, Freeman Lindy, Certified Financial Planner. Today, we start covering the life insurance lies, the myths that are sold to us about life insurance, why we should have it, and go into the truths of life insurance and what kinds and how much we truly need. That's coming up on the Retirement Mentorship Podcast. First, the Retirement Mentorship two-min tune-in, the primary points of the podcast in the first two minutes. Point number one, confessions of a life insurance agent. This is coming from someone who used to work for a life insurance company. I know all the tricks, all the strategies of how life insurance is used. I'm not someone who has only ever done investments and never really look at it or who is afraid of having tough conversations with clients about their life insurance needs. I know every single way that life insurance is sold, and I know the lies inside of them. So this is firsthand knowledge coming to you about how these things are sold and the lies you need to be aware of as you're going forward. Point number two, term life is good. If you have dependents, get it. This is not negotiable. If people are depending on you and your income, you need term insurance. If you don't have it, there will be a link in the podcast description where you can go to a broker, an independent broker, and get some for you from the best companies for your situation. Point number three, permanent is wrong for 99% of people. I'm always being told about these niche situations where Permanent life insurance worked out really well for a certain person or certain situation. Yes, that happens. But for 99% of us, we should not be owning permanent life insurance. And point number four, we get into the first of the lies. You should own, not rent, your life insurance. Disagree. Again, for 99% of us, permanent is wrong. And we'll get into why on the Retirement Mentorship Podcast. Life Insurance Lies, Part 1. I wasn't going to do this episode yet. My plan was to wait and get some other good content out before I start harping on the strategies that I don't care for. But a recent encounter with another good person, but ultimately an insurance agent, prompted me to accelerate the release date of these couple of episodes. There are a lot of myths out there about life insurance. There are a lot of people out there whose sole job it is to sell life insurance, and they have a lot of tricks up their sleeves in how to do that. So I wanted to do a few episodes here on life insurance and on the different lies and myths that are out there. Let me get one thing straight. I'm calling it the life insurance lies because I'm a big fan of alliteration. In fact, most of these things are not truly lies in the sense that They are a blatant misrepresentation of fact, but more myths, more twisting of the truth to make it fit what the person wants it to fit. And so, while they're not quite lies, I still think that they're valuable to cover. So we want to spend the next few episodes going through many of the lies or myths that you will hear in conjunction with life insurance mostly from the people that sell it, 
And so that you can know the truth and know the alternatives to committing to a lifelong insurance policy. Let's start with point number one, confessions of a life insurance agent. If you listen to this podcast, you know that what prompted me to join the financial advising industry was Dave Ramsey and his book, and understanding how important personal finance is. When you really know what you're doing with personal finance, you can do incredible things. And I wanted to help more people to understand finances and to understand what they're missing out on and what they could have. As I was looking to get into the industry, I was recruited by a local firm that specialized in financial planning. What I didn't realize at the time was that the parent company of the firm was a Fortune 100 life insurance company. By training, after passing my various exams and licenses to become a financial advisor, consisted of some rudimentary training in investments and Roth IRAs and IRAs, 401ks and all of those, and then a full-on university of life insurance and disability training. There's the trainings on disability and term life insurance, which are pretty quick, and then a lot of training on permanent life insurance and all the ways that it could be used. To hear it from them, it is a Swiss army knife that is perfect for everyone in every situation and that every single person in the universe should own. So as we get into some of the myths of life insurance, realize who this is coming from. I have learned it all when it comes to life insurance. I know what it's good for and what it's not. I know how to sell it, and I know all the ways that it is attempted to be sold. I know the different strategies, talking points, and how to quote-unquote handle objections as they arise. Yes, a good chunk of our training was on objections handling. You see, it is so common for people to object to life insurance being sold to them, that there needs to be quite a bit of training on how to overcome those objections. It struck me as strange right away that there was no courses on overcoming objections to Roth IRAs, or health savings accounts, or 401k matches. Why are there no objections to these? Because they're amazing financial vehicles and strategies, and basically everyone can benefit from them. Not once have I had anyone object to the various recommendations along these lines and many others. Why then, if permanent life insurance is so great for so many people and that everyone should own it, do we need so much training on handling objections? Could it be because it's not so great for so many people? In the first few years of working for the company, they have pretty low sales quotas on what you need to sell of their products. A year three, that jumps up substantially. Throughout my time there, I tried to sell mostly term and disability insurance with a little bit of long-term care, but ultimately the only way to survive at a company with minimums is to sell permanent life insurance. I tried my absolute best to find only the situations where it would genuinely benefit people. Because it does have this cash value component that has a very low growth rate, we often used it as a replacement for bonds and CDs and other low interest rate vehicles, rather than trying to convince people to stop investing in a Roth to invest in a quote-unquote tax-advantaged 
whole life policy. There are definitely a few cases, though, I wish I could take back. Ultimately, we left that company because I didn't want a life insurance company telling me how much life insurance my clients needed, and I did not want to have to sell permanent life insurance in the quantities they were demanding. So I know life insurance. I know what you actually need and what you don't. So hold all the accusations that I don't know what I'm talking about or that I haven't really looked into it or I haven't studied all the strategies and the studies and everything that have come out surrounding permanent life insurance. I have and I stand where I stand. Point number two, term life is good. So we want to clarify this right off the bat too. When we're talking about life insurance lies and myths, what I want to clarify is that term life insurance is good. If you have dependents, you need life insurance and you need term life insurance. Whole life, universal life, any kind of permanent is terrible for taking care of your dependents. There's no way that you can afford the amount of life insurance that you need in a permanent policy. You need term insurance, likely in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 times your income. And the only way you're going to be able to afford that is in a level term policy. Go find an independent life insurance broker who can shop all the companies and get you the best rates. In my mind, term insurance is a commodity. You just try to find the best value for what you're paying. Make sure, of course, that it's with a company that will be around to actually pay it out and has good ratings. But other than that, you can just shop for the best price. I'll have an episode later on calculating exactly how much you need, but if all you have right now is your employer group life insurance and you've got kids at home, stop right now and go get yourself some term life insurance. We've made it really easy. I have a link to an independent broker in the description. You can click on there. You can literally shop for rates yourself, find the company you want to use, and apply right online. You don't even need to talk to anyone if you don't want to. No pressure to buy anything else, no upselling, just getting the right coverage. It's easy, it's cheap, you need it. Get it. So when we're going forward and we're talking about life insurance and slamming it, just know that I am talking about permanent life insurance. You do actually need term life insurance if you have people depending on you and your income. Go get it. That leads to point number three, permanent life insurance is wrong for 99% of people. Yes, there is perhaps 1% of people that a version of it could be good for them. But that is such a far cry from the amount of this that is sold. I have replaced or canceled so many permanent life insurance policies. I almost never find cases where people need them. I'll frequently get into debates with life insurance salespeople about this or that or how it's great for this and great for that, and no, it's not. We'll get into all of those one at a time here, but just know that for 99% of people, it is not good. If you have it, chances are you don't need it and you're wasting a lot of money. Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast, make sure you listen to all of these episodes if you have any permanent life insurance. By the end, I'm confident you won't want it anymore, and you'll pursue the greater strategies that are out there for achieving the same or better results.
permanent life insurance is way overpromised and way oversold. It does not do most of the things that people claim it does. And get this, somewhere between 75 and 80% of permanent life insurance policies are canceled before they reach death. That's right. This permanent insurance, this insurance that's supposed to be permanent, that's supposed to last you your entire life, 75 to 80% of them are canceled before they're actually used. It is a very expensive insurance, much more expensive than term. And why then are we spending all this money on it if so many of them are canceled? It's because it really is not that great, which we'll get into. There are a few people that it could be good for, people that are facing estate tax problems. That is, they're trying to give away more than $22 million to their kids when they die. If that's not you, then you don't have to worry about that. And trust me, far fewer than 1% of Americans have that problem. We'll get into that one again later. There are also a few long-term care hybrid policies that I think could work for some people 50 and older. Again, though, only some people, and certainly not to the millions of Americans that it is sold to who are under the age of 50 and who are committing to a life of pain into a product with poor results. Even for those, though, that it may make sense for, there are certainly many other strategies that should be explored and implemented first before any permanent life insurance is added. These people have almost never completed all those other steps and strategies that should first be implemented. Permanent life insurance is wrong for 99% of people. So let's get into it. You'll hear a lot of lies, a lot of objection overcoming, we'll say, about how you should have life insurance and why it is the best thing since sliced bread. Let's get into these sales strategies one by one and systematically debunk them. We'll just handle one today and we'll start covering more in future episodes. Myth number one, you should own, not rent, your life insurance. This is a very common sales tactic used by those selling permanent life insurance. They talk about how term life insurance you only have for a term, whether it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, even 30 years, at some point your life insurance will expire. It is only for a term. That means that you are paying into a life insurance policy every year for 20 or 30 years and by the end, you have nothing to show for it. It's like renting. It's like throwing money away. If you continue to put money into something for years and years, decades even, and have nothing to show for it at the end, that's renting. Why would you do that? Instead, you should own your life insurance. With a whole life policy, or a universal life policy, or index policy, or whatever else that is, the money you can be putting into this will start working for you. A portion of it goes to the death benefit, which is permanent, not just for a term, meaning that when, not if you die, you will have a payout to your loved ones and be able to take care of your family for your entire life. That's a big benefit, unlike these term policies that will eventually expire and you'll likely die after you no longer have it. Permanent, you will always have. What's more, though, is you will also have this cash value that builds on top of that, meaning that the money that you put into this, you can access while you're still alive. 
You have a death benefit, of course, but then you also have living benefits. You can take this money, which is growing without any risk of the market, and take that money out at different points in your life to fund major purchases or life events and be able to utilize it kind of like a bank. And so rather than putting money into something for decades and having nothing to show for it, instead, you can own it for life. Sure, buying a house is usually more expensive than renting. You can often rent for cheaper than you can buying a house. If you want a studio apartment, go do it. It'll be much cheaper than a four-bedroom, three-bathroom home. But it doesn't matter if the monthly payment is more expensive. What matters is what you have to show for it in the end. If after 30 years of renting your insurance, you have nothing to show for it, and after 30 years of owning a permanent life insurance policy, you have more money available to you in the cash value than you ever put into it, what was the true cost? Term insurance, in the end, costs you thousands of dollars with no benefit at all, where whole life or universal life will cost you net nothing in the long run because after 30 years, you will actually have more money in your cash value than you put into the policy. So there really is no cost, just like owning a home. In the end, a home is worth more than you've ever paid for it. In the same way, you should own your life insurance because you will always have it and you will end up being worth more than you ever paid into it. Own, do not rent your life insurance. What do you think? Sound convincing? Don't you think you should really own your life insurance instead of renting it? Again, this strategy is used by many, many agents because it is highly effective. We're taught from a very young age that we should eventually own a house and not rent it, and that it's foolish to throw away your money. And so by using the parallel, that taps into that deeply held belief that we should all own and not rent. What this fails to point out, though, is the opportunity cost of putting that much money into a whole life policy or a universal life policy instead of the other things you could do for it. Trust me, I've done the math many many times and compared it to many, many policies. There's been no time in history, get this, there's been no time in history where your life insurance policy would have outperformed a buy-term invested difference strategy. If you have a real financial plan with a real investment plan and understand the power of equity investing and are not afraid of the risks which we covered in our last full episode, you will always beat out your whole life or universal life strategy with a buy-term and invest-a-difference strategy. Think of it with simple math like this. You can buy a term policy for 500 bucks a year. And so you pay 500 bucks a year for 30 years. That's going to cost you $15,000 to have that term insurance in place. And at the end, when you're still alive, that'll have been $15,000 down the drain with nothing to show for it. Of course, we do that with all insurance, right? Most of us pay our entire lives on home and auto insurance and maybe make one claim, and it almost never is worth the amount that we've put into it. It's the nature of insurance. But let me first point out that if your strategy is to own your insurance instead of renting it, you will still need to rent some. 
Because again, you cannot possibly get the actual death benefit amount of insurance that you need with a permanent life insurance policy. So if you're putting a bunch of money into permanent, you are still going to need some term. Maybe it's not $500 a year's worth of term, maybe it's only $400, but that's a negligible difference when we're talking about long-term investing. So as we look at the alternative, we can't even remove the term. We still need that. Either way, you will own term life insurance, and we hope you will never need to use it. We hope it is money that is quote-unquote wasted. But then let's say that we're going to put $3,000 a year into a whole life policy. 30 years later, you've put $90,000 into this whole life policy. And let's say it's even the kind where it's paid up, where after that many years, you never have to pay another dime into it, but you'll always own it from then on. And the cash value will always continue to grow and compound, and the death benefit will always be permanent. And so it's kind of like a 30-year mortgage, right? You pay into it for 30 years, and then what do you have at the end? Perhaps at the end of these 30 years, you have $180,000 in cash value. Yes, you've paid $90,000, but you have twice that available to you at any time for any reason to spend on anything. What's more, you probably have three dollars to $350,000 in death benefit, and that pays out tax-free to your loved ones if something were to happen to you. So in the end, right, you now own your insurance, that $300,000 to $350,000 in death benefit will be yours forever, and you own $180,000 in cash value. So if you don't die, or at least not right away, you can use that $180,000 for whatever you want, and you've only paid $90,000. In the end, it hasn't cost you anything, because you are getting more out of it than you ever put into it. Right? Where's the flaw in that? The flaw is in what you could be doing otherwise. The vast, vast majority of people who are sold policies, even ones that are $3,000 a year, are not maxing out their Roth IRAs and certainly not maxing out their Roth 401ks in the meantime. 30 years from whenever you're starting means you're probably at or close to retirement when you are done, which means you could have been putting that same $3,000 a year into a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA over those 30 years. The S&P since inception, has done 10%. In the last 30 years, it has done 10%. But let's play devil's advocate and say that after all fees and everything else, we're only getting 8% per year. And let's say we put that $3,000 per year into a Roth 401k, making 8% over that amount of time. Again, your whole life policy has given you $180,000 of cash value to use now, and $350,000 if you died to your loved ones, tax-free. Or that same amount in a Roth 401k would equal $372,000. Now, tax-free both to you and to your family, either one. Assuming you started at age 30 and you're now 60, you have full access to that money, twice as much money as in your cash value, and even more money than is in your death benefit for the same amount of money in. And if you take that over the next 30 years to a ripe old age of 90, when you might pass away, your whole life may have a death benefit in the $700,000 to $1.5 million range. It's $1.5 million paid out tax-free to your loved ones. 
No estate taxes, no nothing. Pure cash. If you left that Roth 401k alone, that Roth IRA alone over an additional 30 years, it'd be worth $4.4 million. I'm pretty sure we have some room for a little bit of volatility and a little bit of lower returns even, and we'll still trounce that whole life policy in the long run. So no, it is not better to own your insurance rather than rent. Rent it, get it over with, invest in things you should be investing in, and you will be much, much better off. Again, get a real financial plan, perhaps with the help of a real financial planner, not someone who is required to sell a certain amount of life insurance, and you can come up with a plan that will easily beat the performance of a whole life policy, universal life policy, or any of the other types of permanent life insurance that's out there. We'll hammer out a bunch more of the myths surrounding permanent life insurance over the next few weeks, so stay tuned. If you own any permanent life insurance, make sure you subscribe and catch the rest of them. If you've been sold it and heard some good stories or good analogies that your life insurance agents have used to get you to buy it, feel free to submit those to us at questions at retirementorship.com and we'll make sure we cover them and some of the myths as we go forward. We appreciate your feedback and your input. It helps make the show better. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. This podcast is educational only and is not intended to be investment, legal, or tax advice or recommendations, whether direct or incidental. Again, this is not investment advice. Consult your financial, tax, and legal professionals for specific advice related to your specific situation. Never take investment advice from someone who doesn't know you and your specific situation. All opinions expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the speakers expressing them. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Retirement mentorship is not affiliated with or controlled by any registered investment advisor, broker-dealer, or other financial services company.